gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Welcome back to Radio Gormagon. The Mandarin has successfully renavigated the orbital mind control platform, and we're back on track. So now let's rejoin the conversation and enjoy as we talk about movies and the cultural implications that we're starting to see. Alluding to the streaming things also brings up the specter of television, right? We're you know in a so-called golden age of television, and there's more channels and more you know venues. If you're a writer, you want to be writing for TV at this point, right? Not only is it a more constant gig, but unless you love movies, you want to be writing for TV. It's a more constant gig, and you're the you're the head of the food chain, right? The writer's room and the showrunner, who is, you know, he's technically a producer, an executive producer, but it, he runs the show, and he's a writer. He's usually the guy who wrote the pilot, pitched the idea, and all this sort of stuff. The directors on TV shows tend to be relatively anonymous hired hands who point the cameras in places. There are certainly some really talented directors working in TV. One of my favorite film directors, John Dahl, seems to have left film uh, and to, for, to work for TV, possibly because the studios shelved his pretty good flick, The Great Raid, for a couple of years. Anyway, I think there's a, there's a, there's a combination of factors in this transformance of the, um, the media landscape is, is a big one. It, why movies are getting franchisey and kind of unoriginal and, and, and things like that and you know and less well written i was going to jump on the the whole amazon netflix i absolutely agree i mean you look at some of the quality of stuff that's coming out there so we're amazon prime members and i got sucked into the expanse on amazon prime it is a really good sci-fi show like and i mean space sci-fi like sci-fi is a broad genre shot i should really narrow this down you know, a space story takes us into the near future that isn't a huge jump in believing that it that it wouldn't be possible, things like that. Got totally sucked into season one, which was free for Prime members. And then season two, you had to buy. I bought it because it was so good and so well done. And then on the, on the same thing, right on Amazon, same channel, uh, they have The Man in the High Castle. A, a adaptation of Philip K. Dick's short story. Um, I love it. Gorty loves Dick, by the way. I I do. I do love uh, Philip Dick. You you, you, t- you took a course on Philip Dick in, in college when you were doing your master's, wasn't it? Uh, undergrad. 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 It was uh, my school required a certain number of humanities credits, and most of us waited until our senior year so that we could get seniority in the class uh, registration to register for sci-fi and the teacher you walk in day one and the teacher says we're going to tackle philip k dick and we read four or five of his short stories but he's the likes for those who don't know uh, his stories are the basis for total recall minority report blade runner he actually has i think it's now up to something like nine short stories that have been adapted into film in some form or fashion not, not, not waiting for that Valles miniseries, though. I don't think. That's <laughs> no. where he, he literally sort of had a psychotic break, and the book is. Oh, he was he was psychotic the whole time. <laughs> I mean, he was doing LSD and all sorts of drugs out there in California while writing, uh, in, in and had a totally messed up social life. 
But you, you, you know, the missing you, dead sister motif. Remember the missing dead sister motif oh, with, the, with the dark hair. Dark hair. Yeah. No. I think. Um, I think actually, you're touching a couple of things. One. One of the reasons I think you know I alluded to before um, is the relatively low place in the hierarchy that the script writer and the script itself has in making movies. Uh, movies are still largely director dominated. Directors and stars are by far the most important. Producers are up there. Somewhere down the line, you hit the writer, right? The old joke about the uh, starlet who came to Hollywood and was so dumb she slept with the writer. And it's, it's, it's always been the case. And, you know, and getting miscast actors into movies, you know, John Wayne as Genghis Khan the Conqueror, right? That was completely insane. But the one thing that, you know, it's complained though we do, right? I don't know that there'd be a Jack Reacher movie if it weren't for Tom Cruise. It may be that Tom Cruise, having attached himself to that project, got the movie made. Because, again, at the levels at which movie-making decisions get made, the producer level, director level, star level, it's those people joining forces and deciding we're going to pitch a bunch of money at the movies that really gets them made. The script is, is good to have, but if Tom Cruise decides that hey, this is a great script. Couldn't we really make it that my character always, you know, wears neon t-shirts with a barbershop logo on them? Oh, well, it doesn't really fit the character, but sure, Tom. Okay, we'll do that for you or whatever it is. Uh, you know, that, but the, mo- the movie's getting made. The, the question of scale of movies is, is interesting in that Hollywood has definitely shifted to this spectacle market, um, which further devalues scripts, honestly, because, and further hurts screenwriters in the sense, if you, if you write clever, interesting dialogue, like I know uh, Gorty is a fan of Aaron Sorkin's work, Aaron Sorkin's not going to get a lot of, you know, big uh, movie jobs because of the fact that his dialogue contains wordplay, overtalk, and a sort of poxian fashion, that kind of stuff, is hard to translate for foreign languages. And the current Hollywood thinking is explosions, stuff like that, big in like the Chinese market, the Indian market, places like that. You know, it's like how every movie now has a subplot where there's a, you know, very helpful assistant Chinese scientist helping with whatever space project is going on. Yeah, they're blatantly pandering to to overseas markets and they use these extremely expensive CGI heavy uh, vehicles to do so. It seems to be working. And I think that's the reason why you're saying, why don't they do as they have done in the past and crank out a lot of, say, $20 million movies, expecting most of them to make back 50, 80, and, you know, lose money on some of them. I think there's a market niche for that. If you could, if you could start a studio and get, a, you know, some startup capital in the, you know, billion dollar territory, you could stake a bunch of movies like that. And I think you probably would get reasonable play, at least on combination of streaming and video and things. And maybe that's sort of what Amazon and Netflix are doing a little bit, is stealing some of that older, smaller movie stuff from the studios and, and just streaming it out there yeah. but you it, to bring up the point you guys are talking about like you said everything's delivered differently now and you, you think about it this way look at the look at the beer industry you've got your budweiser's and your millers those are your, your big name studios that that's your you know avenger flicks those are your all that kind of those kinds of movies whereas your amazons your netflix these smaller studios are more of those craft beers so they can be a little more experimental they can have the word pumpkin spice or watermelon lobster bisque or whatever they want to make that week or a goofy combination they want to do. And again, there's going to be a small audience for that. And you know, it may win a, an award or two, but again, that's not going to be for the general public to consume. It's just, it's no different than the Oscars. You look at the movies that are winning and it's like, when did that movie even come out? I remember seeing an ad for that movie. Again, because those are more geared towards the connoisseur, if they like to, you know, 
consider themselves the insiders, so to speak. Whereas the journal movies, I mean, let's let's face it, those are made for the for the masses and for I want to say a looming less discerning taste. Somebody who's not looking for the, the deep philosophical meaning behind the movie. Like you said, they want to see an explosion. They want to see the hero triumph in the end. They want to see the you know the guy get the girl, the girl get the guy, or in some cases the girl gets the girl. Whatever, whatever it's going to be that day. But I, I think you're going to see that. I think you know you talk about these things where you want to make changes, you want to do these things. Doing these smaller groups, I think it's more. I think it's better for everyone in a sense. It's more profitable for probably those people. It's not going to be some big gamble for the studio. Or you know, if you want to make change, the last thing you want to do is you know. I'm going to drive Titanic today. I know it's my first day and drive right into an iceberg. You want to maybe start with a smaller canoe maybe and get out get in the water, make sure you can actually have some basic seamanship before you start, you know, helming the ship. So I think, you know, those are ways that, you know, I think if you're going to change the way people perceive these movies and maybe these franchises, start small. I think when you do it large, it sends, it's too much of a culture shock. So you're going to get the backlash. You're going to maybe tank the franchise, which may or may not be your intention. I would hope that it isn't the intention. But again, there's a place for everything. And again, you and I don't have to like those movies, but it doesn't mean they don't need to be made. There are outlets for them now. And I think people have that chance. What bothers me the most, I think, a lot of, a lot of this whole thing about having to change the, you know, a female character or a male character, a female or change the race or whatever, or now this character is going to be gay, that, that, that's fine. But... At what point do we say, look, you're taking a, a beloved character that everybody's understood and changing it for some political agenda or for some social agenda you're trying to push through? If you want to do that, like I said, create your own characters, create something different. It's no different than these people that want to get married in the Catholic Church. They have a same-sex marriage in the Catholic Church. Nobody's saying you can't get married, but why force something upon an organization that basically right in its charter is telling you, hey, we don't, this is not one of our tenets. But you're going to force us to change because you're putting a, a social agenda. You're looking to push something through to make a point. There are plenty of other places. You know, you don't, I don't want to bake you a cake. Well, that's, that's shame on me. I'm losing $1,000 baking you a wedding cake. The guy down the street is going to be more than happy to bake you a cake. But again, it's, it's not so much the point that you won't bake me the cake. It's that you must do these things. And I think that's where you're starting to see in these movies that people don't so much want to change a character because maybe they're tired of seeing a male James Bond. It's they want to force that change through because, damn it, you need to be taught a lesson. You need to be shown that, you know, it's, it's, it's the age of woman, you know, whatever it is. That's, I think, where people really get irritated and really just chafe at the idea of you changing these things. I actually, yeah. uh, I'm in the middle of rewatching from start to finish the, new, the newer Battlestar Galactica series because uh, I really enjoy it. I think it's really well done. I think it gets a little slow in the middle, kind of end of season two, begin of season three. But there's an example of, of changing the sex of a character with Starbuck that I don't think negatively impacted it. I don't think it was done for an overly political message. I think it was, they're relaunching it. How are they going to restyle it? I mean, the whole, the whole picture was done where it's dark and it's grimy and it's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of cobbled together and it's it, you really get the sense of, you know, the ragtag fleet uh, and having Starbuck as a woman was fine. It it actually opened up some storylines for them to explore that were fine, that it didn't matter. So so I've been fine with that. And, and I don't think it's necessarily that I'm trying to argue both sides of this. But in that case, I don't find myself perturbed that they changed the gender. 
Yeah, I mean, let me speak from a, a artistic point of view is I think ultimately what we're talking about here is is subverting the uh, creator or the creators over time's vision of a character, right? And the, 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 the integrity of the character. And, you know, all praise to Dirk Benedict, face man, but, you know, original Battlestar Galactica Starbuck was was not a, you know, uh, epigony of the writer's art, right? You know, you weren't like, ah, that, there's so much nuance here and it's packed in with his, you know, essentially, you know, masculine charisma. Well, you know, he was he was kind of like, you know, happy-go-lucky, good-looking guy, as I remember. You know, the, the ladies liked him and, and uh, okay, that's Dirk Benedict. He, that's that's how he makes his money. Um, Don't mess with the face man, fool. So, but, um, so, but James Bond is a different animal right now. We can all say probably we don't, really want to completely really respect Ian Fleming's vision for James Bond, because if you ever read any of the James Bond books, yeah, that guy is a creep and a misogynist and, you know, um, sociopath. And, yeah. The sociopath. And it's interesting. I, you know, every time I watch Dr. No, which as you guys said, it's what 50 years old, it came out in 62. So 55 years old. Um, and, uh, that James Bond is a little bit of the Fleming James Bond. He's he's toned down. Um, he's not quite the um, you know creep on the. He doesn't like repel you as much. But you know the like the scene where you know he's counted the guys you know burst in and you know shot up his bed and he interrogates him at gunpoint and uh, he lets the guy grab the gun and pull the trigger on him because he's counted and he says you know that was a Smith and Washington you had six shots and then he just coldly executes the guy and you're like. That's a James Bond that we then don't see for about 20 years, right? Is the, the, or maybe even more, the really sort of cold killer because he becomes this more genial character. And by the time Roger Moore has him, he's, you know, sort of a uh, daring do, you know, you know, the cocktail swilling bon vivant. And, and so, I mean, again, Bond changes over time. Um, but, you know, I, I think sex gets to one of those things where that's more important than race or you know other things even you know even if you're like well james bond is gay and every you know movie there's going to be three hunky dudes he's going to make out with i think you would find a lot of the audience heading for the exits out of just sort of finding it distasteful but i i don't think even that isn't as much of a change in the character as if you make bond a woman for the reasons you guys said is that women are fundamentally different in a lot of ways but because the and thank God for it, by the way, I say as a man, but the unacceptability of that proposition of the fundamental difference between the sexes, um, you know, vive la différence, that's because we have ceded so much of our you know, cultural politics and stuff like this to people who are either, you know, crazy or damaged in some ways. And uh, there's a lot of emotion that wraps around these issues and everybody's sort of out of politeness as well. Geez, boy, if you're really upset about this, we'll, we'll back off. But you know, I think as, as, as an, somebody who's done things, I think, you know, I would so much rather see, again, Gortiz's new double O character who is a woman than I would rather see somebody like, you know, make a Jane Bond. Because if you make a Jane Bond, you're basically making, you know, double O eight or whoever you are. You're just, you're just using the name because you have to so fundamentally change the character by making her a woman that it's not the same character anymore. It's a different character. And, you know, as the man alluded to Marvel seems to think that's, you know, that's cool with its uh, superheroes and yeah, maybe it is. Uh, all those superheroes, again, you have the issue of, well, there's the, there's the person and there's the costume. Right. And so even, um, you know, somebody like Thor, who I guess 
in the movies at least, is one integral character, you would have a harder time changing them. I guess comic book Thor, I, I don't never read a lot of comic books, but I remember as a kid, he was like a doctor who limped around and then he had found the hammer. And so again, there was this sort of duality of characters. And I think it's easier to swap out and, and say, well, what if we met a, you know, a Bruce Wayne's sister, Brucina Wayne, who played, who, you know, Bruce gets killed or kidnapped and she comes upon the Batcave and she becomes Batwoman. Well, okay. You know, that's, that, that's easier to do than to be like, uh, if you have a, a popular character, like, well, let's, how about in the next movie we make Han Solo a woman? When you have a character, right, their their sex is integral in a way that, you know, a, a hero identity is not necessarily integral, but you can sort of swap it in or out. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think you're right. I, if you look at look at Rogue One, there's a movie built in the Star Wars you know universe and that whole story framework that has a strong female lead character. They didn't go back and recast Darth, Darth Vader as a woman. They didn't have to go back and recast, you know, someone else, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi as a woman. They went and just had a very strong lead character with a different story. You, you brought in those other ancillary characters, just like you talked about maybe having a 007 pop in. You know, Darth Vader is using that movie very sparingly, but enough to tie it into the universe. But again, the, the main character is a, is a strong female lead. I think that is a better story than, like you said, trying to rewrite something to jam, jam a, a character in. And Marvel it, it has gone back and you know, they've gone through, the, on the comic book side, the actual published books, you know, they've gone and changed the characters. They made, you know, Iron Man's character a female. They made Thor a female. And the sales have plummeted. You know, and at one point, like you said, it's great to be able, if you want to use your, you know, I, I fault no business if that's what the shareholders want to do and that's what the company leadership wants to do. They want to push an agenda. They're more than welcome to push that agenda. But they have to, also have to be ready for the backlash and for the loss of sales for people who don't agree with that agenda. You know, you know again, like you said, if it's a beloved character and midway through it, like you said, all of a sudden now it's a woman who happens to be gay or whatever. You know, I, I don't think it's an issue that, that that person is gay or a woman. It's the fact that you've taken a character that we've grown up with and for some capricious reason, it just changed it. Yeah, you can do it. I mean, like, I think go back one more Star uh, Wars movie. Go back to The Force Awakens. Ray is Luke, right? I mean, that movie is basically a almost beat-for-beat beat remake of, of Star Wars, the first one. Um, Ray is Luke. She's the sort of orphan kid, on a, you know, and who comes from nowhere in the middle of nowhere before he becomes, and to me, what's the big besetting problem with the dramaturgy of Star Wars, before he becomes the real lost prince of the Force. And he's actually just a, you know, a nobody kid from nowhere who saves the world, which is a great American story in a way that um, the more aristocratic um, conception of him that shows up later um, is is not. Um, but anyway, but she she's Luke, right? And, but they didn't call her, you know, Luke Skywalker, right? They they called her Ray and they, you know, changed the, that's, I think, you know, really the better artistic solution, I think, as, as Gorty was suggesting, you know, find a way, if you want to make a, a really similar character in, in many respects, but find a way to create that character with some integrity as her own person. And I mean, really, you know, as with a lot of these things that are presented as advances in, you know, enlightenment, there's an element of sexism to it too, right? Is this somehow that, you know, a female James Bond, that's really a good idea. Well, why? I mean, you know, that just means you're dropping, you know, um, you know, female sex characteristics on uh, another character. Create a better character. Create a, a really solid female character who is different and who's different in the ways that women are different from men and better than men in many respects. Um, do that. That's, that's the, that's the right thing to do. Um, rather than, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, flip the nameplate where we're yeah. plumbing. 
Absolutely. It's, and, and that's kind of the crux of my argument with, with the whole, you know, all the way back to the beginning of this podcast. When you say that you want a female James Bond, is that really what you're asking for? And I would argue, no, it's not. That you don't want uh, to take those stories with all, even going back to the Ian Fleming type of role uh, and, and characteristics. You don't want a woman playing that. Uh, women are different and they approach problems differently. And if you made just a female, like if you just made the, for lack of a better term, the cosmetic change to the character such that it is curvy, right? That it is in the female form, but the same character, which is James Bond. Um, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking, I would argue that uh, true feminists are looking for a female character to identify with on the screen. And if you make it a female form character that's really underneath that a male character, again, James Bond, they're not going to identify with it and it's going to fail. Um, or a small minority of women will. I mean, you yes, know, because yeah. everything, sure. you know, uh, there's exists, no absolutes. Yeah, everything exists on a continuum. But, you know, yeah. It, um, and, it, but again, it, you know, it goes back to the writing. You write a cool script, people are going to dig it. So, speaking of that, I, I pulled up while you guys were talking uh, most anticipated movies of 2018 just to kind of see what was coming because I don't really track it a whole lot. I mean, I hear about movies. I see trailers. I actually get geeked out on on trailers when I go see a movie in the theater. Like, I want to see good ones. And and I get really disappointed when I see crap trailers. So Avengers. Okay, so now we're getting another Avengers movie. Deadpool 2. Okay, another Untitled Han Solo Star Wars anthology film. Okay. Ralph Breaks the Internet. Racket Ralph 2. Okay. Another Jurassic World movie. Like, why do we need more of those? Incredibles 2. Now, I have to be honest, I really enjoyed Incredibles 1. That's a great film. Just a great film. I'm a little disappointed they're making a sequel because it's per it's just about perfect. It is. Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, okay. I don't know why we need more robots fighting in in the ocean. Again. That was good though. I I don't. I'm not it a guy who fun. liked kaiju movies growing <laughs> up. Like, you know, I must be like, oh great, Japanese guys in rubber suits punching each other. <laughs> not my thing. That is the best possible kaiju movie that can be made, right? I mean, giant robots punching giant monsters. I mean, and Guillermo del Toro knows what he's doing. So yeah. That's I, the, but. Yeah, so I'd probably go see the the second one. I guess if Del is Del I wonder if Del Toro is directing. Uh, it says it's a fault. No, uh, Stephen Denight is listed as the director for it. So we'll see. Oh, okay. uh, then we get some interesting ones, right? Aquaman, like re envisioning the Aquaman from. Uh, I'm sure all of us here picture when you say Aquaman, it's and and Mrs. Gorty actually laughs about it. She goes, if he doesn't. If they don't do the boop, 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 as they talk to the animals in the ocean, she says it's not Aquaman. Now, she's joking, but there's a, there's an element to revisioning Aquaman that could be really cool. Uh, and then the I, I believe they've re-envisioned his, uh, his, his trident as a uh, cinquedent or something like that. Yes. Yeah. yes. Five times instead of three. But. Then there's one that I'm dying to see is Ready Player One, which if you don't know about it, you should go look up the book. Uh, it's a great sci-fi book, um, a video game, pseudo reality, alter, you know, virtual reality thing. It's it's uh, really interesting. Um, and so, oh, it's, Spielberg is directing that apparently. Uh, yes. Ready, Ready Player One. That yes. okay? Well, that adds some credibility there. Yep. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. 
look, I'm a Harry Potter guy. I kind of liked the first one. I like that they took the universe and created some new characters and, and moved it around. And then I think all of us, I think I'll speak for all of us. I think we're all excited uh, about the potential this movie has. It was a book that we probably all read when we were in grade school um, uh, with a Mrs. Who, Mrs. What, and Mrs. Where. Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, great book. Great book. Yep, I hope it comes through. And then it's a bunch of Disney's doing this live action stuff, right? So oh, yeah. Jungle Book, Robin Hood, Mulan, uh, Black Panther, and Cruella. So I mean, Black, another... Black Panther's another Marvel one, right? Yeah, uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 They're doing Venom and uh, another X-Men movie, too. Well, the interesting thing is there's really, I mean, Pacific Rim... Uh, Aside, I mean, well, no, Pacific Rim, I mean, that's a sequel, too. I mean, they're all sequels or franchises, yeah. right? I mean, and maybe that, you know, in the most anticipated, they're saying, well, these movies all have audiences. So, you know, that there's a bunch of people who already know they like this kind of thing. So, but yeah, it's um, not a, uh, a, a great time for original movies. I did like, um, if you guys haven't seen it, I recommend Baby Driver, Edgar Wright's movie. Um, it's sort of a very stylized heist movie kind of thing. And he uh, does really, really good work with some of the action set pieces, as well as having this sort of um, comedy. It's toned down from things like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, which incidentally also have phenomenal action sequence. Um, but uh, this would be particularly, this movie almost is like, uh, did you ever see that? It wasn't a very good movie. It was a Sylvester Stallone movie that was set in like the Dalmatian Mountains in Croatia. A cliffhanger, it was called. Yes. And, yes. and some, yeah, there's terrorists and blah, blah, blah. That movie, I thought, suffered because the sequence at the beginning of the movie, and anybody who hasn't seen it, just go watch the first five minutes of that movie. It's a mountain climbing scene, and a guy slips, and he is he going to fall? Is he not going to fall? It is gripping and terrifying. There's nothing in the rest of that movie that just, like, grabs a hold of you on a primal level that good. The rest of the movie, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, terrorists. Yeah, he's shooting him up. Oh, is he going to get him? I don't know. Let's find out. But there's nothing that is as you know, gripping. Similarly, Baby Driver the driving sequence at the beginning of the movie is one of the neatest bits of like driving stunt filmmaking I've maybe ever seen. Um, I won't say the rest of the movie suffers because it's a smart movie. Um, it's a, it's a clever movie. It's very pop culture referential. Um, so it, it has a slight layer of artificiality around it. And I don't know that the, um, the kid uh, who's in the lead role is maybe as strong a presence as you probably would want in that role. It's, it's similar to like um, uh, the Reacher movies you were talking about or um, the adaptations of Donald Westlake's great books um, about Parker, um, Point Blank with Lee Marvin and, um, oh, what do they call the one with um, Mel Gibson? It's the same movie, basically, um, and just remade in the, they don't call him Parker in either one. They call him something slightly different. Um, and Parker, again, is a large and intimidating guy. Uh, and both Lee Marvin and Mel Gibson can be scary, but they're, they're not the large intimidating guy necessarily. Um, and, but those, I mean, those two guys are great actors. So I, you know, take them. I'm, I'm not, this kid is a good actor, I think. And I think he could have a very strong career in front of them, but this is, it's, it's a tough minded movie in some respects, as well as being very funny. Um, and you know, you're kind of like, okay, boy, I don't know if I totally buy this kid as, as tough as he is, but still, Go see it. It's um, well-crafted, well-written, well-acted. Kevin Spacey's in it, and he's always fantastic. Um, 
the guy who played Don Draper on Mad Men uh, is in it uh, as sort of a dissolute former um, Don Draper type. Um, and uh, anyway, just good acting up and down, well-directed, well-written, and it's original. You haven't seen it before. It's not a movie, you know, it's, it pays uh, homage to the, a lot of classics of the heist genre, but it, it's not a remake of anything you've seen before. So um, check it out. It's not the Italian job with the Subaru, is what you're telling us? It's right. <laughs> or, or the remake of the Italian job with the, um, the was it the Morris Minis? The Mini the, Coopers, yeah. Mini, yeah. Mini Coopers, that's what it was, yeah. Mini Coopers. Uh, that was okay, though. I mean, that was a, that was a, I, I, a well-done remake I, I'm okay with from now, now and then. And that was a pretty well-done one. I mean, you know, nobody in the movie has Michael Caine's charisma. Um, Charlize Theron's probably the closest, um, but she wasn't in the the lead role. I don't, I don't think Marky Mark pulled it off as much. But um, anyway, so. hey, you can't you can't shut down the real Napster. <laughs> That's right. that was that movie, wasn't it? I do Napster. like a little Seth Green. Yeah, Dad, I got a gun in my room. We can, we can just shoot them together now. Don't understand no, how this works, Scott. <sighs> and it looks like we're starting our descent into Castle Gormagon. So we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Slee Stack is waving us in and navigating us to the docking bay. So I hope you all enjoyed our conversation about movies and the characters and casting and everything involved. Tune in next week in Radio Gormagon when we tackle yet another issue featuring one or more of the six of your Gormagons. Thanks for listening. Gorgie loves dick, by the way. <laughs>